Uh, we're in week two today of this new little series thinking about God's wisdom for LA life. And we're going through the book of Proverbs together. And sometimes when we do a book study uh, as a church, what we'll do is we will literally go chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. We'll work through it in that way. Uh, the book of Proverbs, if you know anything about it, is structured a little bit differently as a book. And because of that, we're not going to be over the next weeks up until Labor Day. We're not going to go literally chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. We're going to pick out particular themes, particular headings, particularly important subjects in the book of Proverbs, and we're going to study them um, today, together. And today what we're going to talk about is the power and the importance of having God's wisdom for words. God's wisdom for words. And the little verse that we're going to use, uh, it'd be good if you've got your Bible open. We're going to keep jumping around a little bit through the book of Proverbs this morning. Um, but we're going to jump off from Proverbs 18, verse 21. And it says this, um, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it eat its fruit. Effectively, what Proverbs gets us straight into this morning, and I want us to just jump straight in, is this, is that our words have the power of life and death. They can build up relationships, they can create, they can do beautiful things, produce fruit of love and peace and joy. They are creative, but also words can destroy, words can break, words can tear down. I mean, maybe you can think for a moment in your life over the last year, I don't know, about a time when somebody used words to build you up, to encourage you, to bless you. Uh, just before Laura and I went back to the UK, uh, we had a prayer ministry training uh, evening here at Vintage, and uh, we gathered our prayer ministry, training, prayer ministry team together, and we talked about how we do prayer ministry, and we were talking particularly about the way when we pray, we don't just want to pray for knees or elbows or pain. We actually want to hear God's word to each other. We want to hear words of encouragement and prophetic words. And uh, so at the end of the, the little evening that we did together, Jeff and Linda, who are lovely and who run our prayer ministry teams, they said, well, let's, let's pray for you, Ben, as you go. And uh, so because I had a bit of an inkling of what we might be coming, I grabbed my phone and I hit record on my phone. And for about 20 minutes, they and the prayer ministry team just prayed words of blessing and encouragement, words of prophecy over myself and Laura and the kids. Now, what they don't know is I then took that recording and all summer long, I have been listening to that recording. I've just been going over and over and over again because those words were so full of life. They're literally words that when I hear them are like, oh, thank you, Jesus. This helps me to be a human being better. But I guess maybe also this year you might have experienced, maybe just once, maybe a bunch of, bunch of times, how words have hurt you. Words can destroy. There's that little phrase, isn't there? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Like, that is rubbish. <laughs> like, that is a terrible phrase that is not in the book of Proverbs, and it should never be used because it's not true, is it? Like, even if I think, and this won't be true for all of you, but if I think about the wounds that have happened to me in, in my life, I think about what people have done on sports fields to me, you know, like the scars I have or the little bits of pain that I carry from playing sport. Like, those things actually are nothing compared with some of the real wounds that I carry from some of the things that people have accidentally or deliberately let slip, some of those hurtful, unkind words. You know, words are powerful, and they can destroy us. 
They can destroy us on the inside. They break families apart. They keep this whole you know, concept and culture of, of an industry of, of therapists and um, uh, mental health counseling, all these things. They keep, keep it fueled with patience. They trigger revenge. There can be suicides, wars. Like Words can do so much damage to us. And I guess if we're really honest, like 2020 has been a bad year 2021 too, maybe in some respects, like a bad year for, for words, right? If you think about like social media, think about TV or the press, even think about the kind of the realms of politics or even inside the church, right? We have seen how words can do so much good and they can do so much damage. But yeah, as Christians, we believe, right, that God has given us words for a reason, One of the things that makes us human being is that we have the ability to communicate intricately and beautifully with each other, but we also have this ability to intricately and communicate with God himself. Like words are powerful. God says when he created the world, although the book of wisdom says God created the world through his wisdom, like some of the other books, the Bible say that God, he spoke the world into being. That words are important. And so therefore, and what I want to talk to you about this morning, is the fact that if we are to be people of wisdom, then we need to know how to use words really, really well. So this morning, what I want to talk to you about is I want to talk to you about the source of wise words, the content of wise words, and then also the power that we need for wise words. So will you pray with me for a minute? Father, I don't know about anybody else, but um, I so long for your wisdom so long for your wisdom to navigate every single day of life, for every relationship, for every conversation, for every choice. And so this morning, as we think about the book of Proverbs and think about the way that we use our words, please would you communicate your heart to us that we might know the grain of life for how to live on this thing we call earth. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the source of wise words. Proverbs 16, 23 says this, the heart of the wise makes their mouth prudent and their lips promote instruction. Uh, Matthew 15, uh, verse eight, Jesus puts it like this. He says, the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. That the very source of where wisdom, of where love, of where, of where our wisdom in our words comes from is actually from a heart of love. That before anything ever goes into the audible space, that actually it starts well deep within us. And so if we want to be people who are wise, then actually we have to start by recognizing about what's going on deep within us. You know, I've I've come to realize more and more that if I want to love someone, if I want to care for someone, if I want the very best for someone, then the chances are what's going to come out of my mouth is going to be good. That actually wisdom starts when we seek to love the other person really well. But so often, if I'm honest, that isn't how, we, how I communicate. Like, do, do I always want the best for everyone I'm speaking to? Am I always operating out of a place of love? You know, my friend, my enemy, somebody who has a completely different worldview from me, someone who even supports a different sports team to me or is a different nationality, nationality to me. Actually if we're really honest, when we communicate, how many times do we actually really want to prove that we're right? Or we operate from fear, or shame, or guilt, or revenge, or putting someone in their place, or wanting to be defensive, or just a place of insecurity. But 1 Corinthians 13 says this, that if I speak 
with all the tongues of men or angels. If basically if I had all the wisdom, if I had all the cleverness, if I had all the human attributes and everything that was available to me, but I do not have love, then I am just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. When love is the source of our lives, when love is the source of our relationships, then wisdom flows and it's heard by those around us. Jesus says this, Luke 6, 45. A good man brings the good things out of the good stored up in their heart. And an evil man brings the evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so I want to ask you this morning, as you came to church, like what, what is your heart full of today? What's your heart full of? As you think about you know, those relationships that you have, maybe the conversations that you'll have today or back at work tomorrow or in your family or your school or whatever it might be, like, wh- where is your heart? Is your heart for loving the other? Or is it for something else? Now, I, I think we should probably point out at this point that that doesn't mean that words can only be used in the nicest, sickliest, most affirming and positive way. Right? I, I had a, a friend at college. She's like scores off the charts in empathy. She scores off the charts in positivity. When she speaks, she can't help but affirm everyone around her. It's absolutely brilliant. But it's, it's almost just occasionally, and I love her and I say this too often, it can be a, just a little bit sickly. As an English man, I find it like a lot of emotion to deal with sometimes, right? But I don't think when we talk about love that we actually mean that we all have to speak in that kind of way with one another. Some of the most loving things that you might ever have to say to someone are actually really hard things to say, right? Ever had to say something really hard to someone in love? Yeah, I mean, 2, 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, isn't it? All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, those are not all cuddly little statements. Love can be really hard, but it starts when we listen to our hearts. It starts with our motives. It starts with our emotions. It starts working the question, where is my heart for this person? Am I here to love? Where is our hearts this morning? So that is the source of wise words. But what's actually the content of wise words? Well, I'm going to work in threes this morning. You know, you've got a real sermon when someone comes up with three points. That's, that's like a, that's an extra level of preaching classes. (laughs) What is the content of wise words? Well, I want to start and say that that wise words are honest words. Proverbs 12, 17. An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. Or one of my favorite or least favorite of the Proverbs. Proverbs 24, 26. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Like, before you can have any sort of relationship that's going to thrive, before you can create an organization that is going to thrive, before you can have a society that is going to thrive, then actually at the very bedrock of what it means to be loving is to have trust. And trust comes out of a place of absolute and real honesty, right? You know, Ten Commandments. Jesus has these incredible things to say. He says, like, don't, don't murder, 
Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. And we're like, yeah, okay, great, fantastic. But then he says, like, do not give false witness. Like, do not lie. If you turn to, like, Acts chapter 5, you have this amazing story of the church exploding throughout the world. We're going to look at the book of Acts a little bit later in the year and think about all this amazing blessing and people coming to faith. But right in the middle of Acts chapter 5, you have this story of these people called Ananias and Sapphira, and they're these followers of Jesus. But they lie. They misrepresent their financial affairs to the apostles. And like shockingly, suddenly in the middle of this amazing story, you see the full judgment. You see the full wrath come against this action of lying. You know, God is a God of truth. I'm sure you know that, right? God is a God of truth. That what God seeks to bring about on the earth is what is real. God wants us to know who he is his reality. He wants us to know what he thinks about in situations. We talked last week about the wisdom that runs through the earth. We talked about the way that that kind of grain runs through earth. God wants to reveal truth in your life. He wants you to know who he made you to be, whereas the enemy seeks to lie. The devil seeks to divert, pervert what is true in your life. You see, when God says, you are my child, I love you. I made you fearfully and wonderfully. I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you. That's what God says of you where the enemy says you are not worthy. You are a failure. You are not loved. You are not accepted. You are not redeemable. See, those are the complete opposites. And therefore, because we are people of the kingdom, our job is to join in with God and bringing truth to bear on the earth, right? It's to stand for the things that are true and for real, and the ultimate thing that is true and real is, of course, God himself. That's why John 8, 32 says, Then, once you know me, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, honest words set people free. I was speaking to a guy this week. Um, There's a guy called Billy. Excuse me whilst I grab my very nice lemonade. Whoever made the lemonade this morning, thank you. And um, Billy had been on the streets for decades, he was a methamphetamine uh, user. And a couple of years ago, Billy came to faith in Jesus. His life's been radically transformed. And Billy now helps to run a, a, a center where people can go and transition back into society when they've been homeless or when, homeless or when they've been on um, drugs. And uh, I was talking to Billy. And I said, hey, Billy, you know, we work with all these uh, homeless people who, and, and addicts who are around where, we, where we're based. And I said to him, man, if you could give me one piece of advice for how to work with those who are struggling with addiction and pain. I said, what's one thing you would tell me that I should do? And he just like took him a split second. He was like, it's really easy. You have to tell the truth. Because what happens with so many of these situations is that people believe lies. They get caught in a web of lies. They get caught in destructive thoughts or destructive patterns. Destructive things go on. And what they need more than anything else is they need truth. And so we, I really believe, need to be people who bring truth to bear. You see, where truth builds, it unites, it constructs, lies tear us apart. Now, now we probably go this morning like, okay, thanks, Ben, all good. But I don't lie. Like I'm not. I didn't come. I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not a liar. And I'm certainly not here this morning to point the finger at any one of us at all, to say that. But do you ever find yourself just telling just the smallest, the smallest half truths? I mean, you know, just for example, have you ever? This is not. It's that game. Have you ever avoided the truth to avoid a painful conversation? 
me. Have you ever sugarcoated the truth to improve how people perceive you? Me. Have you ever exaggerated the truth to make it or you look better? Me. Have you ever spun the truth to avoid being found out or win your argument? Me. Have you ever given a half-truth to get your way? I think I won't ask you to put your hands up. But I think we live in a society where actually the nature of truth can be so under attack, right? Um, Jennifer Hout, in 2016 Psychology Today article, she said this. She says, as much as we say we detest people lying to us, most of us stretch the truth an average of three times during a 10-minute conversation. I have no idea how she measured that or where she got her data from. But actually, there is this sense where we, we don't always tell the truth, right? I mean, we do it in, in marriage. I don't, you know, to point your finger at your spouse, but ever, ever had this one? I'll be ready in 10 minutes. It's like, yeah, whatever. Uh, this one, nothing's wrong, I'm fine. No comment. Um, I mean, LA has, I've discovered since I've been in LA, there are a particular set of phrases which do not mean what I thought they meant when I came to LA. When somebody says, hey man, let's get lunch discovered that doesn't mean quite what I thought it meant, right? Or, I'll be there. Or, your script, your voice, that audition is perfect, but just not for this role, right? Or, sorry I'm late, I just got caught in so much traffic. That, actually, that one's been a bit messed up by the last 18 months, haven't I? It's like, oh, hold on, there is no traffic anymore. What help, help? Or the things we put on dating apps or wherever it might be. But I think even this sort of stuff gets inside the church really easily, doesn't it? Right? Because what about like when someone said to you in the church in the morning, man, how are you doing? How's your week going? And what do you go? I'm fine. How's your marriage? Oh, it's great. How are your kids? Oh, they're doing well. When in reality, what's happened is you've just had a screaming argument all the way to church, right? You're like blazing argument. Everyone's like shouting and screaming. You're late for church because it's just like everyone's like in a complete mess and everyone's angry with everybody else, right? And you get into the door and you think, I have to be the positive guy. I'm fine. Actually, we need higher levels of honesty because if not, especially in a church setting, what you end up with is that passive aggressive thing, you know, like when you have a conversation with someone and it's like, oh, it was so good. That was really great. And then behind the back, you're like, that sucked. It's like, that was really terrible. And the problem is, is that when we don't have honesty, we might find our way easier to navigate a moment. It might be really convenient to give a half truth. It might get us through an awkward situation. But what it actually does is it builds a culture of dishonesty, of faking it, and it builds toxic culture. It pushes people away. When in fact, the best people I know, the people in my life who have helped me grow are the ones who will tell me like it is. The ones who will call me out when I messed it up. The ones who I know have my back, but who will say, hey Ben, I love you and you're wonderful and yours is fantastic and we wanna do this with you and we're committed to you, but that thing you said, not so great. I value that and we need it. Proverbs 29.5 says, those who flatter their neighbors are just spreading nets for their feet. Whereas Proverbs 28.23 says, in the end, People appreciate criticism, honest criticism, far more than flattery. Whereas lying breaks relationships apart, Proverbs says that honesty and truth bonds our relationships together. Jerry Scazzaro, who some of you will know, uh, the wife of Pete Scazzaro, uh, she wrote this amazing book called Emotionally Healthy Women. And it is a funny title because it's actually a book for men and women. Um, but she says this, and I'll read it quickly, but you might want to go back and listen to this later because it's such a good quote. She says, lying may provide short-term relief. It comes, however, at a cost. 
What seems like a harmless lie in the moment becomes more complicated and difficult with time. The easy way out turns to be more difficult. Our relationships grow more distant and diminish in quality. People's trust in us lessens. Our stress increases. We carry more anxiety in having to remember what version of reality we actually told people in the first place. And more importantly, our ability to love God and others, the very meaning of our existence, worsens. However, she says, once you end the pretense of superficiality, superficiality and niceness that characterizes so much of Christian culture today, you will experience liberation, freedom, and a genuine body life that is truly a taste of the kingdom of heaven. Your relationships will grow more authentic with nothing to hide. Your stress levels and anxieties decrease. Your self-esteem grows more solid because your integrity isn't broken. Peace with God, yourself, and others permeates your life. When you quit lying, you ignite your spirituality. You're removing false layers and awaking the true self God has planted within you. And by God's grace, you will become among the freest people on earth, and there'll be no going back. Like, oh man, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be amazing? I really encourage you, maybe pick up the podcast and watch the YouTube video later in the week and you can listen back to that quote because it's a beautiful thing. So wise words are honest, but also, let me also say something else. Wise words are also gentle words. Before we all go and get our loud hailers, get out on the streets, telling everybody what we think about everything, we have to also bear in mind the other side of this. Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. You see, honesty is non-negotiable. It's absolutely vital, but it has to be done in the right way. And this is the first reason it has to be done in the right way. You might not be right. Like, believe it or not, when you think something is true, you might not have completely the only perspective on that issue in the world. And so when we approach honesty, we have to approach it gently. Proverbs 25:15 says, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded. The gentle tongue can break a bone. See, a, a gentle tongue actually has more power. It's more persuasive because actually when gentleness and truth and love are combined, actually then things are received and heard, right? There is nothing more persuasive than when someone comes and says, hey, Ben, I love you and, and I'm for you and I want the best for you. And I might be wrong, but this is kind of what I see. As opposed to what actually so often happens, doesn't it, in the world where we go, basically, I'm right, you're wrong. Like, basically, there's my truth. And what happens when we do that? Or what happens when someone does that to me? It's like, thanks, but I'm done. Like, I'm out. I'm not interested in what you have to say. And I think, you know, we've seen that in society a lot, right? We see it all the time. You think about social media for a minute, man. Over the last year, there's been so many arguments about all sorts of things. And, and you know, when you witness those kind of debates on social media, you sort of get one person who says, like, this is what's true. And then you get another person who says, well, well, this is what's true. And then you have more people piling on this side and more people piling on this side. And what never, ever, ever happens that I've ever seen is at the end of the conversation, someone goes, do you know what? You were right, and I was wrong. It doesn't happen, does it? Why? Because there's no gentleness, there's no relationship, there's no love in the conversation. It's just anger, and it's just truth claims being like thrown around. Whereas truth motivated by love and gentleness actually can change people's hearts, can change situations. Uh, when I was... Um, when I was back at co in college, I played for one of the college soccer teams. Now, college sports in the UK, it'd be fair to say, is not quite as impressive 
as, as college sports is here, right? It means pretty exciting watching college sports here. But I played for one of the, the college football soccer teams. And uh, because there were a lot of Christians on this particular college uh, team, uh, someone had a really bright idea. And what they thought was, we'll enter the college soccer team into the local church's Christian league. And I think what they were thinking of doing was they thought this would be a really nice way to like destroy some other teams and have a nice like gentle run out on a Saturday morning. And sure enough, like we would arrive on Saturday morning in our like our kit and our tracksuits, our our university college gear. We'd arrive on these extremely like muddy like like football pitches, like in these funny little areas around where the college was. And we'd be, we'd be up against these sort of like middle-aged, sometimes slightly overweight, very slow teams, like I am now, basically. Like they, we'd be up against these things. And we thought, this is going to be great. Like, we're going to absolutely destroy everyone. However, it didn't quite work out. Because what we discovered is that most church teams in the UK, and this is actually how a lot of Premier League teams started, is they actually existed to be outreach teams. So what these churches would do is that they would go to like the, the, the most disadvantaged, the most troubled young people in the community, and they'd say, hey, we're going to start a sports team, and this is an opportunity for ministry. So we turned up on these sports pitches, and actually, we got kicked to pieces. Right? There were fist fights that like, would start before the games even started. You know, there were red cards flying around the pitches all over the place. Like, we were totally unprepared for what happened. But I remember actually my coach saying something just amazing, something that's just stuck with me for my whole life. He's like, guys, we have to be people who respond and don't react, right? We have to be people who respond because when you, when you react, right, someone throws a punch, what do you do? Throw a harder punch. Or in the workplace, someone sends an angry email, what do you do? You hit re 